Are we designing technology for our benefit, or is technology using us to manifest itself? Either way, technology is inevitable. It's the natural product that the driving mechanism within humans inherently creates. We can't help ourselves. It's beyond our will. Just as bees produce honey, as beavers build dams, or as butterflies pollinate masses of flowers instinctively, we impulsively reconstruct the elements of nature. But what compels us? Perhaps it's just our desire. But what if there was some other unseen intelligence subconsciously guiding us using man as a catalyst to build technology? As political comedian George Carlin jokingly postulated, what if all the plastic we've been creating that we think is harming the earth was actually subconsciously implanted as a thought by the earth's consciousness so that we could give the planet a new element to consume? Carlin was making a joke about environmentalism, but maybe he was onto something. Maybe humans were put on this earth to build something that otherwise couldn't have been manifested naturally. But to what end? The pioneering American conspiracy theorist, author, and national radio broadcaster, Bill Cooper, explained in a 1996 Lansing, Michigan lecture that campfire was the first piece of technology that man had concocted and that the esoteric religions which began long ago in our primitive societies, starting with the priesthoods, kept the construction of fire a secret and disciplined practice. Cooper was speaking generally about what is known in esoteric circles as the mystery schools, a significant example being the Greek Eleusinian mysteries, which were initiation rites performed with psychedelics and of which scholars are now discovering formed the bedrock of Greek thought and culture. These ceremonies from around the world and the hidden knowledge that is revealed within them have been described by occultists such as Blavatsky as a succession of teachings going all the way back to the prehistorical Atlantean days before much of our esoteric knowledge was lost. Cooper claims humanity's relationship with technology begins with the mythical Lucifer, or the serpent in the Garden of Eden. Within the occult systems, Lucifer is represented as light or fire, a symbol for the paragon of human enlightenment. Lucifer, deriving from the Latin root words lucis, light, and fere, to hold or bring, therefore represents the light bringer within the occult. It is seen as the androgynous force who, through deception, perverts or liberates depending upon the interpretation. By enticing us with secret knowledge through the rebellious act of providing us access to the forbidden fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, thus illuminating man. All throughout the Bible, humanity has episodes such as this where it rejects the authority of the established order and seeks to break the barrier dividing mortal and divine as best illustrated in the Tower of Babel event. Whether taken as literal or allegorical, in the story mankind attempted to build a tower, an early form of technology, to reach heaven in which God destroys in fear that we, mankind, would gain uncontrollable power. To live sovereignly and reach godlike status through intellect is the arrogant mission that humanity straddles every day. This mission is audacious, for the Tower of Babel incident teaches we are at the whim of greater forces. 
trying to escape death through technology as our elites seemingly wish to do as we enter the age of AI is the naive task we carry as we move against the natural order of reality. However, much like the serpent in the Garden of Eden, could there be something other than the Silicon Valley technocrats that wish to see us merge with technology, opening our consciousness to some new interface? According to Cooper and classical conspiracy theorists such as David Icke, famous purveyor of the reptilian overlords theory, the ancient priesthoods would go on to become the complex networks of secret societies and shadow governments of today, wielding hidden knowledge and manipulating the simpleton masses towards their goals. This is the broad statement often made by conspiracy researchers who present evidence with stretching connections. However, there are many interesting facts of history that bring truth to this idea. For example, amidst the raving madness that was World War II, there was also a peak interest from Europe, mainly Russia and Germany, in ancient Tibetan legend. Starting in the late 19th century with claims by Russian mystic and founder of the Theosophical Society, Helena Blavatsky, who claimed to have been initiated by a secret society of ascended masters in Tibet, the Western fascination for Tibet grew. Works in the 1930s like Theodore Ilion's Darkness Over Tibet also stirred pop culture by claiming again that there were hidden palaces underground in Tibet occupied by mystical dark magicians secretly influencing the world. The Nazis in particular were not immune to this intrigue. It would be Ilion's story, along with the other contemporary tales, that would lead the Nazi fascination with Tibet and the ancient superior race. Hitler's own admiration with mysticism started in his youth when studying the occult and theosophy in Vienna. In 1910, Felix Neidner founded the Thule Society, a German occultist group that would go on to plant the seeds for the Nazi party. Named after a mythical land belonging to the Atlantean mythology, it was this occult group that would proliferate the belief in a German ancestry linked to the so-called Aryan race which once ruled over Atlantis and would be destined to regain its powers. In 1918, Rudolf Freiherr von Sebettendorf established its Munich branch. Dietrich Eckhart, a member of the inner circle of the Thule Society, initiated Hitler into the society and taught him how to interact with ancient Aryan spirits through meditation. Later, Hitler dedicated Mein Kampf to Eckhart. When Eckhart died in December 1923, he is reported to have said, Follow Hitler. He will dance, but it is I who have called the tune. I have initiated him into the secret doctrine, opened his centers in vision, and given him the means to communicate with the powers. Do not mourn for me. I shall have influenced history more than any other German. Leader of the SS, Heinrich Himmler furthered the Nazis' beliefs in mysticism with the formation of the Ananerb, a sort of historical research society with a mission to find evidence for their claims. In 1938, Himmler sent a team of Nazis to Tibet in search of origins for the lost Aryan race, the alleged Indo-European descendants of the mythical Atlantean race of Thule. 
After the war, many prolific Nazi officials were assimilated into American government through the now well-known U.S. intelligence operation, Operation Paperclip, and among them was the infamous Dr. Werner von Braun, who helped shape the early rocket industry and NASA. With strange connections such as these, we can assume, like the conspiracy researchers, at the very least ideological continuances have passed over into the upper echelons of the political spheres. Thus, the world governing bodies and their institutions are consequentially entangled in occult history and possibly occult motives as well. But we've turned a blind eye to our esoteric roots and the enchanted nature of our world. Today, mainstream science parades itself as the authoritative societal government with the concluding fact on anything pertaining to our evolution and psychology. Modern scientists are quick to denounce the spiritual notion of a creator, yet strive daily to prove that unseen and unknowable forces are helping conduct all life on a quantum level. Science and spirituality are saying the same thing, but with significantly different repercussive narratives. The roles of the Inquisition have flipped. It was once the church silencing and murdering the proponents of science, but now it is science ridiculing and neglecting spirituality. It seems we have forgotten our lessons. We don't want to do the spiritual work necessary to deal with this reality and the mess we've made of it. We've outgrown ourselves to such a degree that we are desperately trying to escape this reality and retreat into a virtual world. Or at least, this is what's being pushed on us by technocratic elites who have an ecstatic drive to take humanity to these frontiers. But we shouldn't despise technology. It is what we do best as a species. We have the ability, unlike any other being on Earth, to radically transform everything around us. We can provide disabled children with fuller lives, expand health with efficient and conscientious farming, enrich our communities and environment with energy-conscious infrastructure, and relay help to each other through our vast light-speed connectivity. All of this and more can be done. What we should be concerned with is what we're choosing to do with technology and who or what guides us to these ends. Governments around the world are beginning to institute AI technologies to organize society into an easily controllable network with things like facial recognition, social credit systems, biopolitics, digital censorship, and the political globalization of the lower class workforce, we are entering a new age of transhumanism. In this age, humans are seen as numbers, living hard drives of data ripe for mining, something that can be computated and dealt with as a mathematical system. Our souls or self are being degraded to a brain vulnerable to manipulation and programming should the appropriate stimuli be actuated. Now more than ever is the need to adopt new techniques of inner insight so we can begin resting control. A revival of our mystical past could possibly help us out of this mess, but many seem to view our past knowledge as outdated, as if humanity is progressively moving towards some utopian ideal in linear structure. Some go as far as dismissing the mysticism of our past as ignorant and even harmful to the digital age of scientific rationalism, as if the best course is to keep pushing forward, unconcerned by what we may lose along the way. 
but there are others who see the past as invariably relevant with the view that all things are cyclical, such as with the Yuga cycle in Hindu cosmology, wherein each cycle lasts for 4,320,000 years before coming full circle and repeating in our Auroborosian fashion. Within the cycle are four yugas, and every yuga within the cycle has a differing outcome for our consciousness. The last yuga, the Kali Yuga, the one we are currently in, constitutes the most ignorant, chaotic, and demoralizing cycle where everything is pressed and destabilized. But perhaps, as the technophiles will have us believe, if we can survive just long enough to upload our minds into the cloud, all will be well. The truth is, we aren't living in a linear structure where time progresses forward forever leaving the past behind. The true nature of animated reality is cyclical. All things must pass through their respective phases to seamlessly encircle the entirety of its being. In actuality, there is only ever the now and the illusion of time passing as events take place. All that is, is an unimaginable amount of tranquil nothingness, what the Kabbalists call Ein Sof or Sunyata for the Mahayana Buddhist. Everything is nothing, and nothing is huge. I don't mean this nihilistically, but that life simply is. It's us that gives life its meaning, and in doing so, we add so much unnecessary trouble to the paradise we live in. In a less mystical sense, it is understood by quantum physicists that what we call reality is made up of light particles which assemble to create pictures of 3D reality as vibration or consciousness passes through it. This all occurs the same way a movie is played out once the film passes through the light. The film in this case would be the information from the source of all via vibration. The light would be consciousness, the projector would be our brain, and the screen our reality. In 1803, English physicist Thomas Young presented to the world the famous double-split experiment I won't go into this experiment in detail, but briefly state that it proved quantum particles, the fabric of reality, were not solid particles at all, but could change form into waves. What made the find fascinating was that the quantum particles would change depending on whether or not someone was observing them. This implies the strong possibility that conscious interaction with reality plays an important role in its ability to sustain form. Werner Heisenberg, famous German physicist, concluded from Young's experiment that the idea of an objective real world whose smallest parts exist objectively in the same sense as stones or trees exist independently of whether or not we observe them is impossible. Famous American theoretical physicist John Wheeler added to that by saying, No elementary quantum phenomenon is a phenomenon until it is a registered, observed, indelibly recorded phenomenon. CERN, the world's leading facility in quantum research, has been tinkering with the fabric of reality for almost 100 years. In its recent years, it has been searching for extra dimensions by exploring the possibility of opening microscopic black holes with its massive Large Hydron Collider. 
Author and researcher Tom Horn has written extensively on CERN and its occult implications, saying that by trying to interact with other dimensions, we may come across entities that we don't want to be involved with. Even quoting the director of research and scientific computing at CERN, Sergio Bertolucci, as saying that out of this door might come something or we might send something through it. Adding to this strangeness is the now declassified CIA document known as Project Gateway, a research summary paper put together for the CIA by a Lieutenant McDonnell. Originally composed in the 80s, the paper details and translates the work of scientific mystic Robert Monroe. Monroe found that the two hemispheres of the brain function for different reasons and respond to frequencies differently. However, when altered to work harmoniously, the brain's consciousness transcends this reality. In the medical field, the idea of the split brain theory is known as lateralization. Many in the field of medical science have concluded that the left hemisphere of the human brain processes the more logical and mathematical information, whereas the right brain processes the more creative and emotional aspects of the mind. The two hemispheres are connected by a thick band of neural fibers known as the corpus callosum, which allows the two hemispheres to communicate with each other. Quoting from Hemisync.com, Robert Monroe's institution, we see the purpose and the veracity of his work further explained. One of the leading researchers into brainwave synchrony, Dr. Lester Femi of the Princeton Biofeedback Research Institute, points out that synchrony represents the maximum efficiency of information transport through the whole brain. This means that brainwave synchrony produces a sharp increase in the effects of various brainwave states. The production of synchronized coherent electromagnetic energy by the human brain at a given frequency leads to a laser-like condition, increasing the amplitude and strength of the brainwaves. Monroe claimed in his personal accounts that after practicing basic hemisync meditations, he was able to astral project and have intense, lucid dreams among boosting daily productivity. The CIA document puts forth Monroe's research into a modern and academic explanation. It also humbly gave credit to the mysticism of the past, admitting that our ancestors were correct about reality, its dualism, its source energy, as well as the attainable enlightenment or ascension by meditatively attuning one's life force or vibration to that of higher dimensions. In the same document, McDonnell states that the participant of the strenuous Monroe methods must be maturely prepared before traversing interdimensional realms because they might encounter lower vibrational entities. It seems as if the ancients were correct in speaking about energetic beings who can shift in and out of our reality, possibly doing so by manipulating the visible light spectrum. It should be stressed that while modern technology may seem new and unprecedented, all technology is forged by an alchemical creative process using elements already in place. The thoughts that lead to inventions are just as alien to us as the end product. Observe the emergence of a thought closely and ask yourself, where did that come from? It's possible that what we think of as inspiration might sometimes be the result of us contacting energy forces or the source of all in Akashic records of sorts and then pulling information out. 
If we imagine our brain as a spiritual receiver for information which our consciousness intercepts and processes like the downloads the New Age spiritual community adores, then we can cease in seeing ourselves as the authors of our thoughts and begin to understand that we are vessels for forces greater than us. The elements necessary to build your cell phone have always existed. The blueprint on how to assemble them correctly is the information that was needed for them to manifest. All there is has always been, whether it is destroyed and forgotten or recovered and restored. We are the mediums for which the choice is made and we are the mediums for which technology is created. Einstein, for example, utilized subconscious contact with the higher sources to a certain extent. It is said that he would meditate and visualize concepts first before he would put the pen to the paper. Nikola Tesla did the same thing. He would spend hours visualizing new inventions and creations and would then bring those into physical reality. We ourselves are a piece of divine technology made up of conduits, receivers, and transmitters all being used as a stimulus to interact with this reality. But if we are to believe that the human mind can hack its system to contact and interact with higher dimensions, it would follow that our technology, our minds, can also be hacked by intelligences of higher dimensions with ulterior motives. The enigmatic Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament was a fascinating piece of technology. The Jewish philosopher and mathematician Lazarus ben David, 1762-1832, claimed that the Ark of Moses contained a fairly complete system of electrical instruments and produced effects by them. Of course, biblically speaking, the Ark was used to house sacred writings, but could also be used as a sort of communication device to talk directly with God. Being only available to the high priest who knew how to handle it, the Ark was said to strike someone dead if they were to mishandle it. Many conspiracy researchers have speculated that it was a multifaceted device which could be used as a free energy source. Henrietta Bernstein in Ark of the Covenant Holy Grail speculates that when the Ark was originally housed in Solomon's Temple, it sat above underground water channels spread throughout Jerusalem that were energized by the Ark itself. Bernstein also speculated that the Ark was then used as an amplificatory source to output energy to the minds of the people. Infamous 16th century occultist and personal diviner for Queen Elizabeth I, John Dee, and his companion Edward Kelly were reported to interact with beings from another dimension through their shoe stone. Through this rudimentary device, they relayed sacred information which they wrote down in a channeled script known as the Enigmatic Enochian Language. Carl Jung teaches us that just as we have a collective conscious that we all interface with agreeably, we have a collective subconscious. It is in that realm where the bridge between this reality and the other dimensions interconnect. World-renowned UFOologist Jacques Vallée made the realization that just as an occult magician has to put rudimentary elements together in a ceremony and sit themselves in the middle of circular symbols to contact higher entities, so too do aliens utilize technology within a circular mechanism to visit our reality. Psychology, quantum physics, and magic are all components of the same science, which is the science of contacting the other side through differing technologies.
As I've alluded to, it could be that our compulsion to create and innovate is the result of unseen intelligences guiding us towards the advent of certain technological achievements for their own benefit. If we placate the spiritual idea that there are dualistic forces unseen to us guiding humanity, then it appears as if our minds hold precious value for these beings. The idea that we have a soul and that it is at risk to be persuaded towards either side of good and evil should play a role in how we view our technological advancements. To some, mechanizing ourselves to reduce our vulnerabilities as carnal beings could mean losing our human touch and therefore our soul. This goal is seemingly being endeavored as we are incrementally being hollowed out, becoming an open vessel that these energetic beings can enter into as we physically merge with technology. Maybe the demons or archons spoken of throughout occultic lore need our minds and bodies to exist in this realm, and like the buzzing lamp that ensnares the night fly, we are seduced by the contact, interact, and build with interdimensional beings so that we can manifest them here. Regardless, every day we partake in the matrix system that is the great evolving technocracy, giving our life force to its conductors. But the beast system isn't the only contender in this game of consciousness. It's been speculated that psychedelic mushrooms have also played a huge role in stimulating our mind's evolution. In a 2016 BBC article by Helen Briggs, we are told that the oldest biological ancestor on land was fungi particularly a set of fungi that dates back to 440 million years. Famous and beloved American mystic and ethnobotanist Terence McKenna formulated the spectacular stoned ape theory. In his theory, McKenna imagines that sometime in the ancient past, early hominids began to eat psychedelic mushrooms, which in turn sped up the growth of our brain's development, resulting in language and self-awareness. Professor Andrew Adamaski, director at the University of the West of England's Unconventional Computating Laboratory in Bristol, published a new study in 2022 showing that mushrooms, at least four species of them, enochi, split gill, ghost, and caterpillar fungi, can communicate with each other with a language of up to 50 different words. Is it possible the shroom may actually be sentient? I have had personal experiences with psychedelic mushrooms and have concluded for myself that when ingesting their mind-altering properties, we are actually communing with the consciousness of the shroom and through it we are gifted information. I believe this is why most trips are humbling and in higher doses induce an ego death where the participants' manufactured sense of self is shattered and they are urged to be more conscientious about themselves and the life around them. Along with entities, mushrooms, and dystopian governments, there are also parasites. Our world's food and health system are a disgusting war zone. Every day we battle microscopic enemies with both known and unknown effects on human brain function. A deadly opponent to the helpful psilocybin-carrying fungi is the Candida albicans fungi. It can shapeshift to adapt to different environments and is highly intelligent in attacking different tissue and cells within the body. 
Some factors that can drive candida overgrowth are high sugar diet, chronic stress, chemical exposure, and diabetes, all factors easily induced by the average American diet and lifestyle. Could these parasites be hacking our minds and bodies to produce the garbage fast foods that we consume to feed them? Who knows? Everything is a part of a complex ecosystem. Within this miraculous system of life striving in its various forms, the greatest piece of technology is the human body coupled with its conscious mind. Unless we take charge of our personal energy and rewire ourselves to be self-governed and self-operated, we can only assume to be wielded by the buttons and levers of some hidden controller. And what greater controllers than the gods themselves? According to the Anunnaki theory proposed by the great speculative Assyriologist Zechariah Sitchin, after studying Sumerian myth, Homo sapiens had been deliberately created by a race of extraterrestrial beings from a distant planet. In his Earth Chronicle series, originally started in the 70s, he details how all the world's mythologies stem back to Sumer. Sumer is now understood as the cradle of civilization, and it is without a doubt that Sumerian mythology heavily influenced Judaism. It is well established, for example, that the legendary flood myth of Noah was heavily shaped by the Sumerian Atrahasis legend. Based on his interpretation of ancient Sumerian tablets, Sitchin reveals details throughout his several books that humanity was designed and created to be a helpful worker species for the gods, or the Anunnaki. Homo sapiens were therefore the first biological AI programmed for technological innovation. After the wars and chaos of mankind, it was decided by the minority of remaining Anunnaki, according to Sitchin, that humanity would be given the right to rule and continue the institutions they had set up and the Anunnaki left. Now, through the dense layers of dirt and sand, we occasionally pull out a golden statuette carefully constructed by our ancestors, venerating the gods. Our hands are our greatest tools, our minds are our greatest computer, and our body the greatest piece of technology. What we do with ourselves is up to us now as we ponder here on this modest forgotten planet. We can achieve our wildest dreams or bring forth nightmares, like the pyramids of Egypt who solemnly stand as a testament to our divine capability. Our works too shall be tested. If better or for worse, we are the creators.